0: For the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about our vision, our ability to see. We saw that 2020 vision only refers to natural sight, but that we also needed to have spiritual sight. And spiritual sight is necessary in order to have perfect vision. But even with perfect vision, our sight may be clouded or hindered, especially if we look through the cataract-causing law. I use that phrase intentionally, cataract-causing law, because when our focus is on the law, or on what we consider to be righteous behavior, we will miss seeing the reality of the person. We will only see how they are not doing what we think they should be doing. The Bible gives us numerous examples of this, especially in the Gospels, where we read of Jesus being in fellowship with the outcasts of society. That woman who reached out and touched Jesus had no business being in that crowd. According to the law, she was an outcast. A continual discharge of blood was unclean. And for her to reach out and touch a rabbi could have got her stoned. But Jesus had fellowship with the outcasts of society. He didn't say, What are you doing? No. Her faith touched him. But the Pharisees only saw a sinner and a rabbi who didn't obey the law. Jesus saw a person who needed to feel loved, to experience. He saw someone who needed to experience the grace, mercy, and love of God rather than the harsh condemnation of the law. As we begin to see more clearly, we will see people who need to be loved rather than to feel condemned. We will see beyond their behavior or the way they look and we will see them as God sees them. I want to take our concepts of vision one more step away from the natural this morning. I want us to be able to see people as God sees them. And in order to do that, we need to be able to see God. Thus, So I've titled this the beatific vision. What is the beatific vision? Well, the beatific vision is the sight of God given over to creatures in eternity. And what that means in the high-sounding theological language from which it comes is that some people get to see God eventually in heaven. That phrase, beatific vision, is not something we hear very often. In fact, I don't think I've heard it or used it since my days as a Catholic 50 years ago. Now, while it may sound strange, and it is a fancy theological term, it is not outside of biblical teaching. Let's consider a couple of verses. In Psalm 17 and verse 15, we read As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Lord, help me not to preach on that this morning. Or in Revelation, some people's favorite book. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12, Paul writes, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. These three verses each tell us of some future reality of being able to see God face to face. But then Paul tells us something that takes the future out of it and brings it down into the now, to present reality. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is a now verse. It is not a future verse. It has been done. The, the uh, God has shown in our hearts; it's already given the light of the knowledge. So this verse holds the key to understanding how it is that we are to see God. Now, this is an important revelation that came after Jesus was on earth. Okay. Because Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Okay? So until Jesus was on earth, no one had seen God. Jesus declares his divinity here by stating that he was from God and has seen the Father. The word for see here means to see with the eyeball, there's no hidden meaning. Just a straight-up seeing. Jesus has seen the Father. But Paul said in our verse here that we have been given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have been given that. That's us. That's you and me. Let's consider closely what is written here. Okay? We've been given the understanding, or the knowledge, as he says, of the glory of God that light of understanding is found, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, you with me? Therefore, to see God, we need to see Jesus. Jesus said this himself, but so many people pass over it. In John chapter 14, we have a little incident where Philip said to him, "Lord." Show us the Father. And that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? I can hear the word numbskull in there. But Jesus didn't talk that way. That's me. Now, while this verse was spoken to Philip, it is not for him alone. Neither is it only for those who beheld Jesus in the flesh as the incarnate Son of God. This verse is also for us. We talked about this last week when we were talking about Paul's statement of knowing Christ after the flesh. If you can remember some of that. We don't know him that way anymore. In fact, we never did. We never saw Jesus on the shores of Galilee, okay? We just haven't done that. Neither, as I tried to point out last week, do we see him according to our fleshly understanding. We now see him by the Spirit, by our spiritual sight and understanding. Whoever has seen Jesus has seen the Father done deal. Past tense, he said. It's your present reality. So let's consider some passages on this. Speaking of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What I want us to see here is that first part of that verse. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, listen to the way some other translations bring this out. The King James says he is the express image of his person. The New Living Translation says that Jesus expresses the very character of God. The New International Version says he is the exact representation of his being, or the exact expression of his nature, according to the Christian Standard Bible. The New American Standard says he is the exact representation of his nature. The New, England, New English Translation says he is the representation of his essence. And the American Standard says he is the very image of his substance. Jesus told Philip that when we see Jesus, we have seen the Father. Yet how many Christians today continue to think that we have to wait to get to heaven to see God? We have missed one of the main aspects of the incarnation. Jesus came to earth in bodily form, we call that the incarnation. Do you remember the prophecy concerning Jesus, first spoken by Isaiah, that we um, only hear at Christmas time? It's recorded in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-three, where he says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, we only bring that out at Christmas time, sometime during Advent, we talk about it, and then we forget about it for the rest of the year. God with us, in the person, form, nature, character of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the full representation of God he is God with us uh, let's look at a couple more verses as I try to finish this up speaking of Jesus Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19 he says for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell all of it I don't know what part of all isn't there and then in chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul also writes, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The presence of Jesus Christ. And we can, you know, right now we're only thinking of when he was here on the earth, when he walked. But there's a whole lot in the epistles of Paul where we begin to learn that the, the aspect of Jesus, what he did is an ongoing now forever thing. We read back in Hebrews that when he had made purification for sins, he sat down. You sit down when it's done, right? When you're finished, you sit down. It was accomplished. Remember what he said on the cross. It is finished. And so what did he do? He sat down. I'm going to have to take you through the Bible on on where God sat down. Oh, my goodness. Don't get me to preaching here. I better back off. Everything we can possibly know about God is found and revealed in Jesus. I'm going to say that again, cuz I don't want you don't want it to slip past you. Everything we can possibly know about God is revealed in Jesus. Now, since that is true, what are we to do with it? how are we to approach the things of this world? How are we to believe about the things of God? I've been talking to you the past few weeks about how we are to relate to our fellow man, how we're to relate to our neighbor, how we're to relate to those whom we prefer to hold at arm's length in case some of their nastiness rubs off on us. Today, I'm talking to you about beatific vision the blessed vision of being able to see God. And when you can see God, you can see as He sees. Your vision will be changed. So let's look at the practical outworking of this. It's simple, but it's not easy. Because we've been trained quite differently. So let me ask you a question. Did Jesus come before or after Moses? Simple question. You shouldn't mess up your Sunday school teaching too much to realize that Jesus came after Moses. Moses was here. Jesus wasn't. Moses left. Jesus came later, much later. Obviously, okay, he came after, after Moses. And that means he came after the law was given. His coming after the law provides us with a clear distinction of character, because in John chapter 1 and verse 17, we read, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There is a contrast there, not a comparison. Law on one hand, grace and truth on the other. So, whatever you think you know about God, put it through the Jesus filter, not through the Moses filter. Put it through the filter of grace and truth. Look at others through the eyes of Jesus, and you will see as God sees. I remember a statement that was popular when I was first coming in things of the Lord. Whenever God looks at you, He looks through rose-colored glasses. Anybody ever hear that? He looks through rose-colored glasses. He sees us through the blood of Jesus. It's when he looks at us through rose-colored glasses. But for too long, we have looked at others through the lens of the law. We have looked at others through the filter of the Old Testament. We have looked at the world through our limited understanding of God as primitive peoples thought about Him. In other words, there's something in our nature that glories in being able to say, You're wrong. They're wrong. They don't do it right. I was thinking on the way into church this morning, as I passed each church, all the churches that exist, exist because of something different in a belief about something about God. And a lot of times, it's one little thing. But we have to have fellowship in a different place because that one little thing. I said, ah, Lord. We revel in the experiencing of being able to point out the sin of others. And as so many preachers have told us so many times, the only reason we do that is to keep the spotlight off of ourselves. It, as long as I've got you looking out there at them, you're not looking at my sin. I love the way Mark Lowry tells it. Uh, he, he, he likes to get off on that uh, concept of hate the sin but love the sinner. He said, what? i got enough trouble hating my own sin. I ain't got time to worry about anybody else's. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't point out the sin of others. He did not shame or criticize anyone except religious leaders for their inability to keep the rules. He only criticized the religious leaders. Nobody else got criticized. I don't know about you, but I don't want the criticism of Jesus aimed at me for being religious, for being a stickler for the law, for thinking I am above others in any way, shape, or form. Now, we need the beatific vision of being able to see God now, not waiting until we die. We need to see as God sees. We don't want the correction that Samuel God, I think it was last week we talked about that, Samuel received when he was, remember when he was sent to anoint the new king of Israel? The Lord told him he was looking on the outward appearance. He was looking at a natural thing. But that is not how God looks. Jesus told the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13, he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what this means. Because obviously they did not. So let us begin to focus on the grace and truth that is in Jesus as we take the time to learn what it means to show mercy. It is a process that we need to learn to put it into practice. So I encourage you to look for opportunities this week to show mercy. And you're going about and you're driving and you're dealing with people in the store and the people who walk down the aisle and block you or reach for something just as you were going to get it and it's the last one. Whatever, find a way to show mercy. And if not explicitly with another person, at least in your mind, start practicing on how to show mercy as you dance with getting rid of all judgment. I'm sure that in your heart of hearts, you would love to be free of criticism and judgment. Let the love of God be your guiding light this week. And if we make a mistake in this, if we err, let our error be on the side of showing too much love and mercy, if that is even possible. I don't think it is. I don't think we have come close as human beings to expressing the love and mercy that God has. As we read, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Mine does. My love gets challenged. My mercy gets challenged. Let us See how far we can take love and mercy this week. Go forth. Go forth from here this morning and love someone who is not feeling loved this week. Let that be your mission.